Welcome specialists, coaches, dads of kickers, moms of punters, uh, relatives of long snappers, and dogs that shag kick off to the Ice Cream Kicking Podcast. It's the show with cold questions and even cooler guests. And we're here to talk about the ins and outs of special teams and specialists. I'm your host, Brett Arkellian, and today we are very excited for our guest, Washington State uh, Special Teams GA, Mac Alexander, here to talk with us for a bit. Mac, how you doing today? Oh, I'm doing good, Brett. How are you doing? Man, never been better, and I am super excited uh, to have you on here and just to, to learn from you and get some input from you. A little bit about Mac before we get into it. I graduated from Colorado Mesa University in 2014. Uh, received his master's uh, from Adams State University. He was a defensive back at CMU. Also uh, was a part of the first CMU uh, staff to have a, a winning season since 2008. Uh, while he was at CMU, he coached four all RMAC defensive backs and one All-American in 2015. Finished the year with 19 interceptions only allowed seven passing touchdowns. Mac, a very impressive resume. Welcome to the cold seat. Uh, you know, how are you doing in, I believe it's, is it Pullman? I should know this. Pullman, yeah. how's, how's Pullman treating you today? Oh, Pullman's been hot for Pullman. Like normally, Pullman barely gets above 90 very often. And in the past few days, it's been about 100 degrees. And it's, it's pretty hot. All the wheat fields are getting cut down. So it looks a little hazy everywhere um but it's been good though it's been good it's right been it's good. eastern washington right i have family all my family's from california and it's hitting like 110 out there you know mm. central california so that's that's brutal especially i'm sure washington's not really used to that oh yeah everyone everyone's telling us not, not to panic because it's going to get better but it's it has been hot it's but it's a beautiful place we're in, we're very fortunate where we are it's a cool little town fun little college town a bunch of rolling hills so very, very blessed. This show is brought to you by The Kicker's Bible. The Kicker's Bible. Do you want to learn the ins and outs of kicking from NFL specialists? Organize practice schedules for in-season and the off-season so you don't overkick. How to get a full-ride scholarship offer. The perfect long-snapping technique for tossing a 6-5 ball on the hip every time. This book provides specialists with the ultimate guide containing everything necessary to find success as a specialist at the highest level. Brett Arkelling combined over 10 years of experience as a player and coach with countless hours of research to develop this handbook of the greatest collection of proven technique tips used by college and NFL specialists and coaches all in one place. The Kicker's Bible is a must-have for both players and coaches at every level who want access to information essential to perform and teach at the best of their ability. Go to icemankicking.com to get your copy today. You know, and, and for me growing up to always Washington state was a, a kind of a unique school because I grew up in pack pack 10 then or pack 12 country. Uh, and I always thought, you know, Washington state was this really interesting, just the, the two square goalposts, you know, almost like a LSU and it, a little bit of a smaller, intimate stadium there at Washington State. How how's your uh, first year been there at Washington State? Oh, um, it's been crazy. You know that we're living in a pandemic, so nothing nothing is normal. But I mean, I got the job in February. Um, I came from a school in Texas, and then the end of March, Coach Rolo Rolovich, our head coach, told me to go back to Texas 
because we got shut down. So I went back to Texas. He sent all of us back home if we weren't living out here to be with our significant others or our families. So my wife was still in Texas. So I went back home for four months or not home, but just to Texas for four months. And then finally moved up here officially June 1st with my wife all packed in, ready to go. So it's been, it's been crazy. It's been weird. Um, I mean, this is put in this perspective. We're a new staff with a new team. I've seen our kickers kick live with actually me standing next to them twice for like two days. So that's that's it. I've seen tons of videos, tons of watching them from our facility down the field or whatever and stuff like that, but never only twice actually sitting there and watching them. So Man, that you know that's such a challenge too. Of course, I came in with a uh, you know a new a new coordinator here at Marshall and, and anywhere you know we we talked about this with my staff. It's like anywhere coming in uh, with a new staff, especially a new head coach in this time period, is just crazy. You know, I can only imagine what you guys are going through. And we'll definitely dive deeper into that. I know we've got a lot to talk about there. But first of all, I want to know about you and your story. Take me through uh, how you got to CMU in that process going forward and getting you into coaching. Okay. All right. So um, I was born in Arlington, Texas. Um, my, my whole family is from the state of Texas. And then my dad got smart. And when I was about five or six, he moved to Colorado. Uh, he wanted to get out of the heat and live by the mountains. And so that's what he did. And so I grew up most of my life in a small town on the western side of the state of Colorado called Montrose. Um, it was a great great town because about maybe 25,000 people, 30,000 people, only one high school. So, and sports were just the only thing to do in that town. And the big thing in that town besides doing outdoor stuff. So that's where I grew up um, in high school and growing up. um, I'm just a huge sports guy. That's just what I was. My dad, my grandpa, and both played at Texas Tech. They both played football at Texas Tech. And then my entire family went to Texas Tech. So I grew up as a huge Red Raider fan. That's the only thing I truly, truly love in sports is Texas Tech Red Raiders. Um, so I've always wanted to be like my dad and play college football. That was always my dream, my goal. And, you know, I being in a small town in Colorado, it was kind of hard for me to get recruited. Um, if I'm being honest, I wasn't – I kind of matured late. So I wasn't all that great. I had a playoff game my senior year. I've been recruited my senior year. But then I didn't sign or commit anywhere or anything like that. And I had a playoff game my senior year. I had two really big hits back to back. And that's then I got then I got a few scholarship offers after those two plays. And that's how I ended up going to Colorado Mesa. Colorado Mesa is in Grand Junction, Colorado. And it's only 60 miles north of my hometown. So it wasn't too far. And I just fell in love. I never thought I wanted to go there. because so I went to camps there my entire life, basketball camps, football camps, my entire life. I was like, I'm never coming here. But then I got there and I met the coaching staff, my head coach, Joe Romano. I just fell in love and they wanted me and they, they made me feel like they wanted me. Every, every other school, you know, sometimes the D2 level, they just kind of want to get guys on their roster, especially there in D3. But they actually wanted me and gave me a scholarship and wanted me to come be a part of the team and were just all about me. So I was like, all right, let's do it. So I went to – and that's how I got to Mesa. Um and that's, that's so huge, though, that you said that, you know, because a lot of – when we're just talking about specialists here, a lot of guys are like, I want to go to Colorado. I want to go to USC, you know, and they're dead set on a Power 5 school. But mm-hmm. Brett Kern said on the fourth down experience with Brian Jackson and Chris Hughesby, it's like, go where you're wanted. You know, he ended up going to Toledo, was a four-year starter there instead of 
you know, maybe going to a power five and riding the bench for a while. Uh, and then he turns out to have this, you know, huge career, went to the Pro Bowl last year. Uh, you know, so so just just like you said there, go where you want. I same thing with me. I went to a division two school and yep. you know, was able to, you know, make some moves there and eventually earn a division one scholarship after that. So that's so important. And that's in so that's the, do they call it the RMAC or the RMAC? Uh, you can call it the RMAC. Yeah. yeah. The RMAC. Yep. And they got they got like Pueblo, who else is in that conference? Um, Adams State University, Fort Lewis, Colorado School Mines. Um, it's kind of changed now, but it's like Shadron State, where Danny Woodhead came from. Um, they're in Nebraska, South Dakota School Mines, South Dakota School Tech, or South uh, Black Hill State. Sorry. So. Yeah, and it's a very competitive Division Two conference, right? They always have really good teams in that conference. Mm-hmm. Not when I was playing. When I was playing, we weren't great. I'm um, not gonna lie, but like when I started coaching there, it always kind of was uh, Pueblo. Obviously, they won a national championship in 2014. And then Car School Mines, I think they've lost two games. I mean, not two games, but they've they they very rarely lose. Like the Heisman Trophy for the um, D two version of it, it's called the Harlem Hill. Came out of Car School Mines multiple times. Um, and then Mesa, we started. We were all kind of the same, the top three schools in the in that conference for a while. But like it goes back way back in the day too with Shadron State, with Danny Woodhead. They didn't lose for like years upon years. Um, so it's, it is a good historic conference in the, you know, Colorado belt, I guess. Yeah. A lot of those Colorado schools, RMAC, that's the conference. Yep. Nice. All right. So you go then to a GA role. Now that's kind of tough because a lot of guys will struggle with going from a, a player role on a team and then trying to fill in as a coach, you know, because you were just alongside those guys. They were friends with you. They hung out with you and now you're in charge of them. You're instructing them. Talk to yep. me about that adjustment and, and how that went for you. Yep. So I'm going to take you back a little bit. So when I got to Mesa, I played, I redshirted, I played my redshirt freshman year at safety. I played, I started in, um, I think it was nine games and then I got hurt. So I hurt my neck. I have kind of a genetic neck disease or gen- it's not a disorder, but it's kind of a spinal stenosis in my neck that my dad and I both have. And I hurt it playing CSU Pueblo kind of went numb for a little bit I had issues my whole life growing up and all that stuff but um I heard it and so I ended up not playing the last two games that season and then my coach and AD and it was a big thing and they wouldn't the, doc, the team doctor wouldn't clear me to play football anymore he thought I was really hurt myself possibly go paralyzed so that was after my retro freshman year and I was completely devastated of course didn't know what to do was kind of lost um but my head coach is awesome. He's like, hey, Mac, I'll keep your scholarship. Just come coach. I was like, okay. So I became a student coach for a fall. And that's when I knew I wanted to be a coach. I always had thoughts in the back of my head. I always said I want to help people somehow was when I was growing up. When people ask me what I want to do, I was like, I don't know. I just want to help people. And so, but then that fall when I was a student coach, I fell in love with it. And that's what I want to do with my life. And, and it was great. Great coaches. Um, we, we were okay. We weren't very good. But at the same time, I hated coaching all my, my, my friends and my guys. I knew I was – it sounds bad, but knew I was better than I was playing above the year before. And it was really hard on me. I, I had a big itch to, like, still compete and not get into coaching. I knew it's what I wanted to do, but I just wasn't ready for it yet. I still want to be an athlete. So I had, I had an opportunity to walk onto the basketball team at Mesa, and somehow, some way, I made it. You know, I was just an average basketball player in, in high school, just okay. 
And so that then I played basketball for three years and I worked my way up. We can talk about that if you want to, but it's not a big deal. I just played basketball for three years. We were okay. Had had a few, one good year, some bad years. Um, no big deal. Two sport athlete. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit about that. I mean, that's, that's a big change. I did forget to bring that up. I'm, I'm glad you did. Um, yeah. I mean, what was that like? Or how's, how's that adjustment, you know, from football to basketball? Oh, it was difficult. Um, it was, I mean, I didn't try to basketball for real in a long time. And so I was very rusty. I had to lose like 10 pounds. Um, and the whole culture of basketball is just different than football. It's football is the ultimate team sport. And then basketball, it's still a team sport, but there's a lot more individual personalities. And so it was hard for me at first. And I just didn't understand it. <clears throat> and then it was just hard going from, I was a guy that was like, I was young. I was supposed to be playing, going to have a great career. So a guy, I just sat on the bench and I'd get in. We were up by 20 or down by 20. Like that was, that was like my time, my, my, when I got in. <laughs> and, um, and I just wasn't very good at that point. But it was honestly looking back on it. Sometimes I think, man, I should have gotten to coaching. I could have, you know, had four more years, I guess three more years, my resume, all these different things. But I wouldn't take it back because that basketball, it really taught me how to work. I, got, I was always a hard worker, but this was like, on a whole different level. And basketball is one of those sports where you can work by yourself. It's a lot like being a kicker. You can get better by just all you need is a ball and, and a hoop and a, or a post. And that's how basketball was to me. And it, I just got up shots every day. I had goals of what I wanted to do. My second year came, um, played a little bit, not a lot. But then my senior year came and I played in every game. And in like, in like real, real, real game time, not when you're up by 20, you're down by 20. And I was like a part of the team had that football toughness still. All I did was play defense and shoot threes because I'm a short white guy. That's all I did. And, um, but it was great, man. I had a great time, made some great friends, got very just blessed. Head coach was great. Um, and I just, you know, it was just a time, you know, my head, the head coach that was when I first started told me I'd never play if I came walked on. And he's a great coach. I love him to death, but he, that's what he told me. So I took that to heart and I said, all right, I'm gonna prove you wrong. I'm gonna play. And it's what I did. And, I, you know, it's D2 basketball. The RMAC is actually a really good basketball conference. And we played a lot of good teams. Um, and it was – man, I would it was awesome. Met my wife through that. You know, she was a cheerleader. Met my wife. So, I, I can't – it was it was an amazing, amazing time. A lot of diversity, but amazing time. Yeah, it sounds like an amazing time. And I, I really – what I can draw from that, too, and something I was saying to Chris Hughesby, who was coming up in a future interview, is – is saying that there's beauty in the struggle. You know, sometimes the best, mentally the most strong athletes or coaches are not these guys that were super talented from a young age. There were these guys that maybe weren't that good at their sport and they had to put in the time physically, mentally and face failures every day to in order to get where they wanted to be. And, and in my eyes, that's going to make you 100% a better coach too. So that's, that's an awesome experience, man. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was, yeah, it was great, man. I, I felt like there's nothing like going into a gym by yourself and thinking, you know, really forcing yourself to get better. Because it's like, it's you and a ball and a hoop. Okay, am I going to get 500 shots up today or am I not? And I think it's – I compare basketball and, like, getting shots up to kicking a lot because I think it's very similar. Um, and just a sense of, like, form and just all these different things and how I used to chart my shots and – I don't know. It, it's so I think it's going to help me for sure in the future. And 
Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. You know, it. You're you're 100 right too. For me, that was my my place of like, all right, let's get work. You know, even in the summers in California, uh, it'd be 100. Like I said, 105 is about this time. I'd be out there on the field kicking, and it'd be super super hot. Um, mm-hmm. But my biggest thing was like, I'm gonna go get. And I was out there for way too long. This is when I was, you know, in college, and I'd be out there for two hours. You know, I'd do my no steps, my one steps, and I'd have an earbud in, but I'm really just focused on hitting good balls. And it was my time to, I honestly felt like it calmed me, gave me time to, you know, think about myself. Then I'd do my my running workout, you know, I'd do some sprints, I'd do some core out there. And I was dog tired after, but it was like therapeutic for me. And I'm sure that's how shooting, you know, in a gym would be. Yep. Now, my question is, do you still do that? Yes, all the time. Okay, good. Because shooting hoops is like getting shots up is still like, I mean, you're, like you said, my therapeutic time. Like when I'm going through something and like I'm stressed out, I'll go, especially at D2 schools, I'll go get in the gym, talk to a basketball coach. Like, hey, I don't know if you've ever seen a gun, but it's just a big machine that shoots the ball back to you. I'll go get on that for an hour. And it like helps me. It's, it's amazing. No way. Okay, I was being totally sarcastic. I, if I had swung my leg again, it'd probably fall off. But that's awesome, man. No, that's staying, staying active like that. I, you know, I'll go mess around sometimes, but that's, that's really good. I, I honestly, I bet, you, I bet you still could though. You can go get some one steps in. You know? I could, I could, I could definitely swing. I'd be in a lot of pain the next day, but yeah, that's that you're going to motivate me to get back out there on the field. man. I got some gold Nike cleats that I bought for indoor soccer and then I got this, this spot. So, <laughs> all right, enough about my cleats though. That's, that's awesome though. Okay. So you play basketball from, 2011, 2014, and then yep. you took on that GA role in 14, correct? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it was good for me. During that time, a new coaching staff came in. The head coach that coached me in for a football team got fired, and um, a new staff came in. So I had to figure out a way to get in with that staff. And luckily, one of my best friends, a guy I actually played with, he was a senior when I was a freshman, um, was on the coaching staff. He just came back, and he was um, a part of that new staff. And he, I needed to do an internship. So as soon as basketball was over, I went and I interned, did my, my whatever hours for the football team during the spring ball. So that was kind of my way to get back in. I was up there in the offices as much as possible, showing the new DC, the new head coach. They didn't know who I was and show them, I want to be a part of this thing. And I'm like, for real, I'm not one of those student assistants that's just going to help and just be around every once in a while. I'm in this, so let's, let's go. So because of that coach, his name's Seth Dameron, He's a head coach at Alan Hancock Junior College in California. He gave me the in to get into it. And I just, I was just, I was just there. I was just around. And so the head coach that next fall is like, oh, Smack, so you want to do this? And I was like, yeah, this is what I want to do, coach. His name was Russ Martin. And he gave me my first job as a GA job for $5,000. And that was, uh, that was my first job. And I just assisted with the D-line helped in every aspect I possibly could, run a scout team. I did all scouts and special teams, just typical GA stuff. Um, but it was good, though, because a lot of the players were kind of the guys I played with were kind of gone. A lot of the guys I coaching, I was coaching actually just saw me play basketball. So they knew who I was, um, but they knew I was also older. So it was kind of a smooth transition. Some of them still looked at me as like a peer a sense, but it, it, um, it was great. I was coaching my alma mater back into football, and it was – yeah, it's just a GA life, so it was fun. I would assume, yeah, there's no better feeling than that, too, is as like representing your school and now you're coaching there. And I, I think that's a really cool feeling that I hope one day I want to experience, too. So at the D, now you've, you've done both, and we'll get more into your Washington State experiences, too. But, you know, 
at that Division II level being a GA, uh, what was out of the ordinary, some things that you had to do? You know, you have more definitely responsibilities when we were talking about, you know, Division II, the more responsibilities coaches have to have. What about your experiences there? Oh, so two years, and even when I was a full-time coach there, I, I got put in charge of all apparel and equipment, and that was kind of my baby. Um, I hated equipment, but I loved apparel because I got to design all the stuff we were wearing. And um, so that, that was fun to me, the equipment stuff I hated. And there's multiple times when, when let's say a helmet broke or a chin strap broke, chin strap broke, I would have to stop my indie drill or let them keep going to go fix it because it, it was, it was my job. Um, just little things like that. You know, I had, I also had to teach to make a little extra money. I taught classes. So I taught like a golf class. I taught a weights, a weights class. Um, I actually was a, I had a lecture class at one point where I taught 150 kids about health and wellness, <laughs> talking to those kids about, I taught, there's a whole two chapters on sex and stuff. So I was, that was fun. That was interest, interesting, but um, was your, was your background like? Hold up, I mean, just teaching classes as a coach. You know, a lot of people who are, you know, they don't know about coaching. They'll ask you. You know, you go into school to GA. Why are you teaching? And to coaches, that's the most ridiculous thing. You know, they're like, no, I'm just doing football. But at Division Two school, you really lived that, where you had to do both, and that to me, that's awesome. Uh, was your background in health and wellness? Did you play golf? I mean, my, my background is exercise science. That's what I got my degree in. Um, golf, I'm okay. I shot a 77 the other day. So I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay at golf. But back then I wasn't. I, I got good at golf because I taught those golf classes. Because I would just go and hit a bucket of balls with my class. And just going to help you with kicking too. Yeah, yeah. And give them – I would just give them really simple pointers like head down. You know, you want those. Just a bunch of simple stuff. Grip. You know, a bunch of people who took the class. It was a one-credit-hour class. Their grades were only based on attendance. It wasn't a lot of, it wasn't hard. It wasn't difficult. It just really just took an hour of your day to go teach it. Um, the health class did challenge me because I actually knew what I was talking about and like knew my slides. Um, but I took it as a time just to get comfortable to talk in front of people, learn how to teach. If I can teach a guy who can barely walk and chew gum at the same time to hit a golf ball, I feel like I can teach, I can teach anybody to, to tackle or do something like that. So I kind of always took it as a challenge. And um so I taught as many classes as possible just because I want to make extra money. And I, it was just, it was just kind of fun, especially during the springtime when there's not much going on, it's just as fun to get out of the office and um, just go be around normal students and meet different people. So yeah, I mean, that was just one of, that's just one of the many stories of the D2 life that a lot of people, some D2 schools, you don't have to do that, but at Mesa, we had to teach or they wanted us to teach to help other coaches to help. And I always just volunteered because I wanted extra money. <laughs> that's awesome, man. I've never, I've honestly never heard something like that. And yeah, that's something I would definitely do too. I think that's, you know, just, uh, you know, especially coaches living that life. It's like, you know, you have to do something on the side, you know, to kind of make it by. What's another, another thing that you had to do that was out of the ordinary there? Oh, no, man. Like out of the ordinary, like we got a new weight room when I was coaching. So I opened up my window a little bit. Um, we had a whole new facility, like weight room facility open up and we used my truck to bring in a bunch of weights and we basically set up the whole weight room with a football staff and string staff and some of our players and just carried weights all down there and then helped the guys who made it set it up. And, and that, was, that was a long day, um, long few days. And there, there was a lot of great stories, like summer camps, 
don't know if you've ever been to a team summer camp. We used to run team summer camps, and, you know, what you do is is all these teams basically come to your school, and they just scrimmage, and but you just kind of put it on, so you're there refing and stuff. But we have a coaches social every night. And so our coaches social is all these coaches come up and we have a big room and we have beer for them just to hang out and talk and talk ball, really just hang out. But it was like, it was my job, another guy's job to make sure the last coach, we couldn't leave until the last coach left. So there was multiple times during camp days where I wouldn't leave until like 3 a.m. Because there's just those, some coaches who just start drinking and it's just as much beer as they want and they just keep rolling. And it, I don't want to. They're just lost stories from that. See <laughs> the stories that come from that. <laughs> so that, those are good times. The good times right there. No doubt. I've been to I've been to some of those on the high school side, but man, three a.m. seems a little bit. You think they'd close the doors at at least eleven or something? I mean, you can't. Those coaches are paying you for them, so you got to you got to let them have a good have their time. And sometimes we, you know, we can drink with them. So sometimes it was a good time for us too. But. Um, you know, you want them to have a good time. They're paying you. They're, they're spending their time there. So got to make them happy. That's awesome, man. Those are some really good stories. Um, okay, so then you take on more of a, a role there, right? And you become the DB's coach and special teams coordinator. Uh, what's something you learned from those experiences there? Um, that it's hard. <laughs> I, I, um, when it was actually my group, so my second year GA and I actually, the DC gave me, gave me my own group. I had the safeties, and it was just the safeties. It was awesome. I had two ballers, so it made me look really good. I didn't really do much with them. Um, but that next year when I had all – so we were like a 4-2-5, so I had all five. I had the nickel, safeties, and corners, and I had a lot of them. And, you know, we, we did a thing where we brought in a lot of guys, and so like we had like 140 on our roster. And um, a lot of them were DBs just because those are extra bodies we could use for scout teams, and you never knew who was going to quit. And stuff so I had a lot of dudes and so I learned a lot on like how to be organized and just to take pride in my group and coach a bunch of different personalities I really had to, to dive deep into learning how to coach corner um just because I was safety so safety came naturally to me but corner was difficult um so I'd take a lot of time to do that I had a ton of mistakes um there's so much I go on and on for days about how much I learned but, you know, even going into special teams, really, I, I'd never – let me just tell you, my, my memories of special teams when I was playing is I loved them. I just – I hated punt because we were a pro-style punt and I had a kick step. And I felt like the most unathletic person of all time because kick stepping terrified me. Like, it, it would terrify me. I'd say I'd practice and work on kick stepping all the time. So that was, like, what I thought of special teams. And then I started coaching it. It's like, man, special teams is awesome. Like, this is – it's so – it's just so fun. And the way we did it was just so good. And so, um, and our head coach was all about, was all about special teams. I didn't, we never really handled the kickers. That was kind of his job, what he wanted to handle the kickers, but just how much emphasis he put into it really, we won tons of games. I can talk about this later because of our special team. So it was just, it was just really fun, man. And you have your own group, you have your own guys. You know, I, I just gotten married. So just being able to have the guys over for dinner at my house, meet my wife, you know, all 30 of them in my tiny little house. Like, you know, it's like a, I think it was 937 square feet, and just all of them over ha hanging out. It's an apartment. It, it, it basically was an apartment. It was just an actual, it was an actual house. So we had a kind of a backyard. It was really cool, actually. But um, just things like that, man. A lot of the stuff that's beyond X's and O's, I really, really enjoyed. 
And, um, you know, I just, it's just really fun. I don't know what else I can go. No, those are some really good points. And that's something I've realized too, is like, okay, yeah, I'm definitely in the, I love the special teams. I love using that to our advantage and a way to beat other teams. But man, there's nothing that's better than the highlight of my day is when I get to go talk to the kids in the weight room or be on the field with my, my specialist group. Like, that's that brightens my whole day you know uh, rather the crappy part is sitting here on the computer and entering in all the data and stuff um you talked briefly about uh you know you, you had a ton of dbs i, I, I want to know how did you guys balance how did you manage because you said you got good at managing those reps how many DB, dbs did you have and how did you manage all their reps so i struggled with it and then i finally my second year going into it because i would write it down and and have like, okay, this is my plan for the day for the ones, twos, and threes slash fours, and I would roll with them. Um, but I'm also a big believer. I want my ones to get a lot of reps during fall camp. So my ones would go all the time. But then I needed those other guys, especially like young guys, to see if they could play or not and stuff like that. Um, so my second year, what I did was each morning, I would I would make a depth chart and I would print it, or I would print it, I would take a picture of it and send it to the group chat. And it was up to them to get the reps and I didn't really I, I had it if they asked but it was up to them so each night I would go and like grade the film and watch the film and I would move guys around and the next morning before practice I would send it to them and it was just then it came like they were in charge of getting the reps things like that and also because I really just had to get through the first basically 10 days and then I just then I knew who my ones twos and threes were and they would get reps so it was just those first 10 days was a grind and it was a lot um, my individual, the guy I learned it from, uh, Marcus Patton, he kind of molded the DB coach I was, and I'm not a big, like, lines. I hate lines. I don't like people waiting in the lines. So, like, if I have tape of my DBs doing indie and, like, everyone has a partner, everyone's on a line, we're basically taking up, like, 60 yards of this field, and everyone's just going. It, it's, it's, it's great. That's how I did it. And then I just didn't have – I had to coach off tape a lot, um, you know, I had to spend extra time, like, telling kids, hey, I didn't get your reps today. If you want to come get – want me to go over your reps, just text me and come up to my office. We'll do it later. Just little things like that. Just um, still trying – the hardest thing for me was trying to make sure every kid was important. They still felt like I was coaching them, even though I, you know, was one voice for all of them, all their guys, and I'd make sure my dudes were ready, the ones that were going to play, but taking care of my freshmen. Just little things like that. So, like, one thing I did start to do – is every Thursday, um, once camp was over, I would meet my freshmen in the cafeteria for breakfast and just eat lunch or breakfast with them and just make sure they're doing okay. Because one time I think I had like eight freshmen, so it was a lot. And so I just want to make sure they're doing all right. You know, being a freshman's hard in college. So um, just little things just to make sure kids feel important and feel like they're being coached was what I always tried to focus on while trying to make sure like my senior, who's a stud that you know, he knows what he's doing, all this stuff, but make sure, you know, I was hard on him too. It, it, it was a lot. It was fun. You can be creative. That, that's what's a part of it. I got to be creative with it and figure it out. So. Man, that, those, that's some really good stuff. I really like that, building that bond by eating breakfast with them. And, and yeah, just always having them. I'm sure once you guys got going into the season, they knew what drills they were going to do for Indy, and they were ready to roll through them, so you guys were just constantly moving. Yes. Yep. yep. Awesome. It was and, the other thing you were talking about with the special teams thing and your head coach did a great job of, of making everyone excited about special teams. And I think that's so important 
and I'm lucky the schools I've been at, every, you know, they take special teams seriously. It's a big deal. Um, talk to me. How did you guys make it exciting, make it fun, make it something that the whole team wanted to be a part of and not just like, oh, God, I got to be on punt, pump block? So you probably heard of this. We did, um, we did like teams during spring where you had captains. They chose their teams, and we would compete during special teams drills and then go back and grade the drills. You know, like, all right, this kid won, so he gets a point. And then we would give the points of the team like a running tally after each practice. And then the team who had the most amount of points at the end of spring ball, like won something. Like that was one way, especially during spring, because we didn't do a lot of – we did all drills in spring ball. Maybe punt a little bit, but it was all drills. So that was our way to keep them motivated, have fun, get the guys who are younger, show them that they can play. And then and really the best part about Coach Martin is he emphasized special teams, but he let us do it our own way. And – and be ourselves. And when there was me and Coach Newcomer, rather Newcomer, we kind of did it together. And with Coach Evo, actually, Coach Everson, he did punt because he was in, he loved, we did pro style punt, so he did punt. I had kickoff and then field goal block, and then Coach New had um, the return units. So it, it was really, it was a group effort with us. And, but we, we did it all together. But like for me, for kickoff, like, like kickoff to me is how you create team energy and it should be, your kickoff team, in my opinion, and it's how Coach Gobi feels too, should show the culture of your team. Um, even if you kick it out back to the end zone every time, like it should show who you are by your kickoff team. So what I did was I, I did my whole, my whole kickoff was based off a song by DMX called Party Up. And that song came on every time we went out there for kickoff. And it was just something that they, they knew. And so like for my first meeting, I just was blaring that. And I explained to them, we need to be, our kickoff team needs to be like DMX. Like it's just, that mentality of DMX. Now you guys are the party, you guys are up and you know, we're a bunch of bad dudes going to go down there and yeah, just be, just be, we're just going to be the, the culture and the environment of the team. So that was kind of the philosophy we took on for kickoff. And then uh, the other guys, we all had our own little things, but it was always one, we we're one voice, even though multiple coaches were coaching different units. So that's so important. I think, you know, to have everyone on the same page and, and working together, especially, you know, at smaller schools when it's, you know, easier to be a little bit less, you know, organized or, you know, anything like that. That's, that's awesome. And I, and I think too, getting your guys excited like that, the music, you know, I, that's something I've always wanted to do, you know, especially, I mean, maybe punt, you've got to be more focused on, all right, these are my steps and I got to get to this point. You can't just be going crazy, but kickoff, that's, you're right. It's a party, man. It's a, we're going to go down there and, and wreck some dudes. So. Yeah, That's and you awesome. want to be on it. Like, and they all deep down want to be on it. It's just making it make them feel like it's important that they're on it. Like, it's this is my spot on kickoff, and that's where that's where it got to. And you get, you know, you love the point you have guys come up to you, coach. How do we get on kickoff team? How do we get on kickoff team? And finally, that dude gets his chance, and he goes and like this guy went and made a play. His name's Dylan Tate, and it was it was big time. Like it was it, it was just you know, probably coach and why special teams is so fun. It makes you feel good too. Yeah, hundred percent. Now I don't want to rush through your time. You're at Fort Lewis and then also Tarleton State. Is that correct? Yes. I don't, and I don't want to rush through that. You know, but I know you have a, a set amount of time. And there's other stuff we definitely want to talk about. So take me through. You know how you landed here at Washington State. Uh, talked about it a little bit earlier about your connections and just and just what that process was like. 
Yeah, so Michael Gobriel, who is our special teams coordinator, he works with me when I was a GA at Mesa for a year. And um, we just kind of always stayed in contact through that. You know, he left and took another job and then got on the staff with Coach Rolovich at Hawaii eventually. And then when he came out here, um, I actually, so when I left, I left Mesa, took another job. It was time for me to move on. I went to Fort Lewis College and it was not all, it was a great experience, but not a great experience. Um, I ended up being let go. So I was out of a job for a while. And then I got on with Tarleton, had to take another step back. It was not a full-time role. Um, at Tarleton, where my mentor was, helped me get back my feet, went there, won a ton of games. Great. And I wasn't planning on leaving. I was happy. Um, Tarleton went, was moving up from Division Two to FCS. So I was happy. I was like, all right, things going to happen. More jobs going to open up. But then Gobi got this job when Coach Rolovich got at Washington State, and he called me. And he's like, Mac, I told you I wanted to hire you back in the day one day. And, and he basically convinced me into it because my wife, if I'm being honest, my wife did not want to leave Texas. She really liked it. She had a really good job, and she didn't want to leave. And then I finally, like, convinced her, like, hey, Power five, we got to go try it. I got to, you know, being a D2 guy, I had to go see if I like power five. If I, everyone talks about how you want to get there. Um, I had to come try it out for myself and both of us and my wife, she's included. We had to go try it out, see if we liked it. And so that's how I ended up here. And being a special teams guy, I've been a DB guy kind of my whole life with special teams, but I want to learn more, especially in the sense of learning the specialist part of it. Because obviously I wasn't a specialist, but learning that portion of it really really intrigued me and I love coach Gobi he is one of he's not much older than me but he's like a mentor and a friend <laughs> and um I just want to learn from him so and that is awesome too it's like one of the best perks I think of, of being you know in a GA role or QC is is the ability to learn from under someone you know that you definitely respect and you know that's that's an awesome opportunity I'm so glad you took it yourself because that's that's a huge jump. And you're right. And another question I was going to ask you about too is a little bit later, but we can talk about it now is, you know, you're, you and your wife are a team, you know, and as a young coach, I've always wondered about that. You know, I know we're going to talk about the crazy hours you work, you know, but how do you make time for your wife, you know, especially during the season and out of the season? So the first thing I'll tell people is you got to figure out what your wife's love languages. I don't know if you've heard of the five love languages. Have you, Brett? Have you heard of those? I believe, yeah. Words of affirmation and physical touch and stuff like that. You see yeah. it on dating profiles and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like words of affirmation, physical touch. Um, oh, shoot. Acts of service, gifts, and there's one more. Can't remember. I'll, it'll come to me. But figure out what your wife's um, love at, or love language is, and that's going to help you out more. So my wife's love language is quality time, and that's hard. I was like, oh no, that's hard as a as a coach. But the way I do it is, when I go home, I'm home. So I I make sure whatever she wants to do, whether if we're just watching a show, or she she likes to eat dinner and actually like not have TV on and just sit there and eat dinner together. Um, make sure you do that and you're involved in that, and then like. I'll many times she'll go to sleep. I'll play in bed with her and then I'll do some more work, you know, things like that. Like, or I'll stay up with her and I'm knowing I'm going to wake up earlier tomorrow to get in here early to get my stuff done. Um, so I think, you know, you have, first of all, I have a married great woman and she, my, my wife is amazing, but it's just really just, just really going on your way 
to take care of her and show her that you care and appreciate her for letting you chase your dream, especially my wife, because she's letting me chase my dream. We've been through a lot, married four years and moved four times. And it's, it's just a lot. And so just making sure she's appreciated figure out your love language guys that's all i can say that's that, that that's how she's going to feel loved if you don't figure that out then it's you're in trouble so fantastic advice mac no i i definitely you know hear that and i you know even the short time i've been coaching on relationships it's like you know you have to yeah do something make time or, or that love language stuff is is a really good advice because people all respond in different ways so the last thing this is the other thing is make, make her feel like she's a part of the team I know we're a team, but like when I brought my the DBs over, so we had them over every Thursday night of a home game, or and that's where everywhere I've been, having and having her like she's in charge that night. I put her in charge. She gets to ask them questions. She puts them on the spot, um, makes them dinner, obviously, and all that stuff. But that makes her. It shows her that everything you're doing while you're gone so much, it's worth it because she gets to see the faces of the guys you give impact every day and the guys you talk to every day. So making her feel like she's a part of it. And also it's a great example of you and your wife showing them what a marriage looks like. I can't wait to have kids because they get to be around my dudes all the time. or my guys. And so, and then just showing them what a good family looks like. Cause you never know where your kids come from and all that stuff. So just, it's just, it's, it's great for her and it's great for your kids as well. Yeah. And you guys are role models for sure. You and your wife. And that's, that's another great point too. Cause there's, you know, I'll hear a lot of naysayers that'll, that'll say, Oh, you're, away from your family so much, you know, and you're missing out on your kids. But, you know, for them, it's like they get to be around their idols. I don't know if you read that. It was a letter from an ex-Penn State coach who's now in the NFL – or Old Dominion's head coach. That's who it was. And he oh, was yeah. – did you read that? Did you see I, that? I, I Yeah, I can't remember it, but I definitely did read it. Yeah, and he was talking about, like, you know, that time being away. But also these kids will say that, you know, Penn State's linebacker in 2016 is the best – linebacker ever play and they these tight ends were their favorite tight ends and like they got to experience going to the Rose Bowl or whatever in 2018 like no other kid gets that experience so in the time that they're missing it's made up with all these different experiences that they get to live out yep yep it's, it's true it's true I don't have kids yet so I can't talk about that but that's my plan that's my plan me neither but yeah I'm, <laughs> I'm not even on that wife stage yet but yeah that's, that's awesome man and that makes me very excited for all the, the future to come. You know, I hope I'm, I'm as happy as you are at that. Oh, oh you will be. Don't worry. You got it. Yeah. Being married is the best thing ever in my opinion. So that's awesome. Well, we got a little sidetrack from, from special teams there, but let's get back on. That's, that's really cool. Uh, okay. So now you're at Washington state. Now, what did you expect when you came in there and how has it been since you've been there? Um, I know I really, it's a tough one because of all the crazy stuff going on. I didn't really know what to expect, um, if I'm being honest. I didn't – I knew I was going to dive into special teams. I knew what Coach Gobi was like because he taught me a lot of stuff, like how being – just like simple things, like on PowerPoint, how to be exact with lines and things like that. So I kind of knew how Coach Gobi was. Um, but I, I really didn't know. That's why I figured when I took it. I didn't know what it was like to be around – bunch of dudes making you know really good money but guys who have made it and gotten here like big time coaches I've never you know guys I looked up to so because our defensive staff came from Wyoming and I used to go up to Wyoming to camps all the time and work camps for them so I knew a lot of them and I actually get to work with them now like it was 
it, it was really just awesome for me. I was just so, I just felt so blessed and honored to be here. And then when I get here, and you got me around with D2 guy coming from where I do a lot of things. And now all I have to do is my, my entire job or my job is in my title. I, I work for special teams. And that's what I do. And that's been, it's kind of, it's been really, it's been great. So I can really dive into, you know, like breaking down film and like really watching. I can just go into more depth with everything that I do now with special teams. And that's the same with the defense side of the ball and the offensive side of the ball that I see with like some other QCs and GAs and even coaches. Like, this is my job. This is my title. This is what I focus on. And so that's been the biggest thing that's been different for me. And it may not make sense, but it makes sense in my head. <laughs> and so. No, no, that makes 100%. Like, for me too, that's what I love about this job and the role I have is that, yeah, we can, you know, I want to be the best at, at special teams. And that means taking these different situations and breaking it down to you know, exact science. We want the ball right here on his right hip when we're, when we're snapping this ball. You know what I'm saying? Different situations like that. And that's super cool. You're experiencing the same thing. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, you're right. It's just it's just awesome. It's really fun. I think it's really fun to do, and it's, it's just so different. And the other thing I've really learned that I wasn't expected is um, I've gained a lot of respect for specialists since I've been here. The guys we have are – some of the hardest working, most focused guys I've ever been around. And I just never knew that about, I knew it, but I didn't really know it about specialists. So it, I've just been so impressed with like Blake Mazar, kicker and Oscar. Um, I'm not going to say his last name, Oscar, our punter and Simon Smarzich, our alongside. Like they're just so focused on what they do and they come to work every day to get better at that goal. And it's just, it's just so impressive to me. There's just not a lot of people I can see and do like, you know, Oscar, our punter, go and do drops for an hour. Like, it's just, cause I know I couldn't do that. And so it, it, I've just gained so much respect for all of them and the work that they put in, you know, specialists always get a bad rap, but like, I'm going to defend them from here on out in my coaching career, no matter what I end up coaching, because these dudes are impressive. And we may, we may have a really special group, but I think it's how specialists are across the country. Cause it, it's uh it, I don't, it's just unique and awesome hey well we definitely appreciate hearing that some respect putting some respect on our names no but for sure there's yes you know any group you're gonna you're gonna get some negative stereotypes from a few bad apples and believe me i've been around some specialists who are lazy they just love to lay there but yeah there's there's some and i definitely took pride in in doing the little things and as every day i'm focused on minute details and not a lot of people understand which is why I wrote the book that I wrote, The Kicker's Bible, found on icemankicking.com, shameless plug. But also, you know, I, the, the you know the podcast, and this is why we're doing this, because I want to talk about the details and stuff like that. That's really cool. Now, when you came in there, how was it uh, building that relationship with these guys? You know, I'm sure they don't know you, you know, and you don't know them. Uh, how did you go about that, and how's it blossomed from there? Um, I think the biggest thing is just getting guys to know you and let them know that you care. And in coach Kobe's awesome. He lets me coach him. Even though I, even though I tell him all the time, I don't know anything. Like I don't, I don't know anything. So like, and you guys know that <laughs> and I tell him that all the time and he did, but he lets me, he's like, right, just coach him, just coach him. They keep it simple. Just coach him. So I think the biggest thing is, it's just letting them know that you care. Like during quarantine was hard. And so I just, you know, my goal is to call one a day and just talk to them, get to know them about their life and their story. And that's why I love your podcast. And, 
because um, every person has a different story and even all these kids do too. So let's get to know it because you get to know their stories and you can coach them better. Um, so I think just doing that, you know, I think I have really good relationships with them. And I, like I said, I've worked with them twice on the field. So um, it's, uh, I, we have a very good group too. Um, and I also just talking to them, they know I don't know anything. So I ask them questions all the time. Like, what are you thinking here? What, what is this drill helping you do? What is, you know, if your plant foot's like this, how does that affect your kick? You know, just little things that I'm learning. And like, I, I love to film them and then just actually watch the film with them. And like, and like, you know, as you probably do too, but just slow it down and be like, this is what I'm seeing. Is this right? And they're like, oh yeah, coach, that is. Or they'll tell me, no, you're dumb. That doesn't make any sense. So it's, you know, it's just, it's just a relationship. And I'm younger and I'm, you know, I'm 30, but I'm still closer to their age. And, you know, it's just like coaching the other position group, in my opinion. You just got to, you just got to, the hardest thing for me so far has been we're doing specialist indie, and then all of a sudden you have to flip the switch and go to special teams, period. That's the hardest time because you don't want to be that high energetic during indie, obviously. You want to be kind of slow, monotical. That's hard for me is my indie used to be very up-tempo, going, 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 but it's like it's slow take your time retrieving the balls like just you know because you have a long time so it's just different that that part's been the hardest part for me for sure yeah not doing a ton of reps right I mean you you do you can break it down into smaller drills and stuff but yes you don't want to overkick you know and yeah I I understand that you want to be the calm cool figure you know because then they replicate how you you're acting especially when they miss stuff like that no I think you're 100 percent on track with everything you're doing from a coaching perspective with those specialists. Like for me, I, you know, I listened to Randy Brown, what he was talking about in the fourth down experience. And his biggest thing was like, let's pick out three things, three small details, you know, make sure the starting point is the same every time your plant foot's the same every time and your contact point. And as long as those three things are consistent and that ball is 90% of the time end over end and it's going straight, you're doing something right. You know, so let's not, especially we got guys, you know, that, they're obviously talented at what they do or they wouldn't be there. So, you know, your job isn't really to fix them. So I think you're doing a, a phenomenal job with your specialist, man. That's awesome. Exactly. And Randy Brown's right. Cause I asked him every day, what's one thing you want me to look for today? And I know I can coach him on that thing because I, I, I'll watch for that. And then it's just coaching. So it's, he's exactly right. Coach the crap out of that plant foot, huh? Make sure it's on the same spot every time. It'll be good. I'll get that right. I'll make sure I'll get that right. But it's, yeah, it's important. That's, that's awesome. And I, I really like that. Okay. As far as, so, so you said you left, you went to Texas, you came back and then, you know, everything is, is just it, it explosion of, of stuff going on. Um, what was before all that happened? What was like the, you know, the craziest hours you had to do, whether it was there or when you were GAing and, and, you know, what was, what was the thing that took the most time? Oh, craziest hours. Bro, I'll be honest. I've worked I've been blessed to work for guys who aren't who are big family people and aren't grinders. Um when I was at Fort Lewis, it it was a grind because I felt like I had more pressure on me. And just the way our head coach was, we did grind. So like we had weights every morning, whether it was our guys or the registered guys at five thirty. So obviously I'd get there around five and we were in the weight room with them and then I would leave around midnight or one about four days a week so that was a grind that's when I actually got into coffee I didn't drink coffee until that job <laughs> um you still drink coffee I still drink coffee yeah got into it now so it is yeah I don't know. um 
but here it hasn't it, we, I, it's hard for me to say here just because we haven't done anything yet um, I think the craziest hours I've worked is just me working on something I want to get done or get in the office super early because um, I wanted to get there before my office mate and get some stuff done before he got there before I could get distracted or spend some quiet time in my office um, I would work like I, I, I'm, a, I'm a morning person so I, I'll, I'll leave early and I'll come in early if I have to I don't like staying late because I have a wife obviously but um uh, but I will stay late I know how it is I will stay late. but I've never I those those GA stories I don't have a lot of them like my, my crazy GA stories is being in the equipment room unpacking 160 pairs of shoes you know for and organizing all these sh like 500 shirts and things like that those are my crazy GA stories it's nothing to do with breaking down film um you know it is when when I was at at Mesa and we made the playoffs so I don't know if you know division two playoffs you get told the Sunday around around our time it was about four o'clock who you're playing so we you have no idea until then so then you got to go depending on who your DC is and break down either four games or five games or six games as and you even as a position coach you still have your own breakdowns to do because we didn't have a lot of GAs and so that that was a grind because it was you had to break four games down and watch it that night and come back in the morning keep watching it and have a game plan ready to roll by Monday afternoon so that was a grind that, that but you're in the playoffs though so you're fired up you're ready to roll and it's but it was a grind though Jesus Christ man yeah that's you know and it, it's kind of getting to that point too like for other schools that are still being being ready to play it's like you know we're not going to start breaking stuff down until it gets a lot closer and and yeah, but that's, I can only imagine with, you know, you have to break down four or five games right before that practice week. That's, that's a, a struggle for sure. It is fun though, because you're in the playoffs and there's only 32 teams in the playoffs. So you're, you're excited. You're ready to go. All jacked up. Huh? That's awesome. That's, that's really cool. No, that's, that's awesome. So with, um, you know, everything that's going on this year, when did you guys find out about, you know, if you're going to have a season or not, whatever the Pac-12 did, and, and how's that going moving forward? Um, so we found out officially about 30 minutes before the Pac-12 announced it. Uh, Coach Rolo got us on a Zoom call and told us. We kind of already kind of knew it was probably going to happen. I was, I'm a positive guy, so I was trying to think positively and think, well, yeah, we're going to have a season. We'll be all right. We're going to figure a way to get through this. And then he told us, and – it was about 30 minutes before it all happened. I was getting texts during the meeting from people across the country being like, what's happening? Like, you know, so that's when I found out. And it's just been kind of crazy since then. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I texted you later that night. And it was like, yeah, hey, you definitely did. Yeah. What yeah. is going on? You know, because yeah. I definitely follow all the Pac-12 teams. And, and, you know, it's a it's a tough decision for sure to make. And, you know, at the end of the day, we just hope that everyone's, you know, safe with all yep. this stuff. So. Sure. I, I think there's I mean, there's gonna be a lot. Of, there are a lot of teams that are gonna be playing in the spring, so we'll see how this. I hope so I hope it works out. I don't. If I'm being honest, I don't see how it's gonna work, but I really hope it does, or at least we can get some snaps and scrimmage. And so I don't know because the University of Idaho is seven miles away from us, and at least let us play them or something. And I, you know, because we just want to take a snap with these guys that we have. We've been coaching these dudes for a long, like six, seven months now, and haven't seen them hit anybody yet or. You know, so we're, that's what we're all ready for. But. Oh, no doubt. And I know that they've released different rules going forward. So you guys, 
kind of just treating it like off season then they have workouts and then you know when are you guys going to be able to practice have they have they told you that yet we're not officially sure yet well we should know hopefully by friday what the ncaa and pac-12 says they're just trying to decide if they want to go 20 hours or 12 hours um we just don't know we don't know what the right thing to do is you know washington state went all online for the whole campus but a lot of kids are still coming back so we don't know how that's going to affect the whole COVID rate to go up and if it's the right thing for us to practice right now as much as we want to but coach roll has done a great job it's all about the players it's all about what's right for them because these dudes like have been through a lot as us football coach we think about football all the time these dudes have been through quarantine coming back you know they've been here since june 15th ready to play get told it's not going to play we have two practices we get shut down just they've just been through a lot you know and i I feel if i was them i'd be mad at football right now so i don't know exactly what what the next step should be well yeah they've sacrificed right they made huge sacrifices to get there and it's still like up in the air you know that's that's a whole different uh thing but I mean, I think I think Coach Coach Rollo is doing a great job, man. He seems like very passionate, very you know. How is he as a as a person when you've been around? Him, is he very excitable? Oh, he's awesome. He's he is who he is now. He is um, he's a special guy. I think you know I've worked. He he reminds me of the guy I worked for at Tarleton, but they're completely opposites. Um, one's kind of old school, but he is who he is. Rollo's kind of new school, big player coach, um, all about his guys, but he is who he is, and he's gonna. Um, He's very smart. He's very intelligent. He takes input from our staff very well. And he is very energetic. I haven't got to see it all yet, though. But he has all these cool ideas to still, you know, help ways to, you know, just bring some more energy into our program, things like that during this time. You know, I don't know if you saw on Twitter, but, like, the coolest thing he did during quarantine is he would go to a restaurant, especially Pullman. Pullman relies on this campus to keep it going. So, what he did during quarantine is he would go to a restaurant and buy like 20 to 30 meals and then put it out on Twitter and say, Hey, there's pizza at Sella's pizza, pizza place. And the code word is go Cougs or something like that. The first 30 people come in and get their meal for free. And so he would just go and buy that for the guy, for people. And they see it on Twitter, go in and get their pizza. He did that at least once a week for a long time. So he's all about this community, this, this campus and that's that's why I think he's awesome why I already love him so that's a great that's a very uh, good way to help out the community you know and and support and bring people in you know because then even if they're not in that first 30 they're gonna be like well I'm here anyway let's eat some pizza you know yeah yeah exactly so he's very creative in that sense he's always thinking of ways just to get our guys involved get us involved get Washington State involved so it's it's pretty awesome yeah and I definitely look up to PJ Fleck is a guy that, you know, it does a great job with themes. I got to see him speak at the AFCA thing mm-hmm. in Nashville this last year. Did you go to that? There- oh, yeah. oh, yeah. You need yeah. to listen to his first one. I was like, right when he got the Minnesota job. It was, it was great. You need to go back to really – I got into him when he was still Western Michigan. You need to go back and watch some of those videos. Like a day in the life of PJ Fleck back in the day, that's what you need to go. Yeah, I, I met him at the convention two years ago just real quick and shook his hand and just said, man, you've impacted me more than you know. And it, it cause, cause just of how he talks, how he is, he's a motivational speaker as a football coach. So it's, um, yeah. what do you say to you? Uh, thank you. Nice to meet you, man. He, he, no, he looked at me, I was wearing an FCA shirt. And so he like, he goes, are you a part of, you work for FCA? You work for FCA? I was like, no, football coach. 
at this school and he goes oh yeah i've heard of that and then um introduced me to his wife and he just said to keep on going so it was, it was really cool and yeah he seems like a great guy and that's someone i definitely want to emulate you know as i grow i was going to ask you about that you know uh, i see that you're very a part of fca and you know how's how has your faith helped you in coaching oh man if i didn't have my faith and even going back to when i got hurt in football i don't know where i would be in this life um it, it's i mean the answer is to our to everything we have that goes on in our life is in is in the word so in the bible and i truly believe that and it's just got me through a lot like when i got let go it was probably the one of the worst days, but promised the future type days of my life. It was, I, I felt so torn, like so broken, but also so hopeful at the same time. It's very hard to explain, but the only reason is because of Jesus Christ. I'm, um, it's really that simple. He's, he's the reason why I am where I am. And I mean, he's the reason why we have hope, especially during this time too. I mean, there's no football for a football coach. Like, what are we, what are we going to do? Like, but there's, there is hope in Jesus Christ. So it's, it's played a huge role in my life. My wife actually works for FCA too. So that's been, it's, it's been a, I've been in FCA since high school, college and all stuff. And now she works for him full time. So it's, it's a huge part of my life. Yeah. You may, you make, you guys make a really good team and that's, that's really cool to hear. And that's something, you know, as a young coach, I you know aspire to learn from with that stuff. So, and also, you know, I won't keep you too, too long here. I know you got some, uh, oh, you're good, man. Don't worry. You're fine. I'm important fine. dinner here, but um, talk to me, you know, this is something I wanted to, to ask you about is, you know, if you had advice for yourself, uh, you know, when you were just starting out or just GAing, what would it be now from the stuff that you know? Oh, that's a good question, Brett. Um, I think the, the, not the easy one, but I think the one that you need to remind yourself is to be where you are. Everyone, every coach says, be where your feet are planted or be where your feet are and opportunities are going to come. But I'm a very, like, I know there's a plan for my career path, but I also get really stuck in looking at other people's like bios and see where they were and then comparing it to mine and seeing how I, you know, um, this dude was here when he was, you know, his third year coaching. And it's been very humbling for me to be a, 30 year old GA when I've been doing this for a long time and I've worked with other guys that are younger and you know it's their second year coaching and they're the same position I am. <clears throat> but so if I, I would just tell myself to remain humble because I also thought when I got promoted full time that I was like the best coach ever and I earned it. And, you know, I, I wouldn't say I was cocky, but I was had a little arrogance to me and, um, and I, I, I wish I could go back and slap myself and just be like, just be a better coach, man. Just just be a better coach today. And then, but I also tell myself to, I'm not a, I'm not a very talkative. I'm a very like introverted type of guy. I would tell myself, get out of my comfort zone and go network better and be a better networker. You know, I think, you know, I, I'm not a guy at the convention. I don't know how many times you've been in convention, but the convention is an awesome place, but that's not how you, that's how you start relationships. That's not how you build them though. And I wish I did a better job of building relationships with other coaches that I have met in the past. There are a few I've done it with, but I wish I'd done it more with other guys. And, and also just not worrying about where you're going to be. Um, 
obviously never make it about the money. You know, I don't coach for money. I coach because I love these kids, developing relationships with these kids. All that type of stuff I think is is great. And obviously keep God first because it is hard because you start to feel yourself. And it's um, you got to make sure that Jesus Christ is number one. So, And those are some words to live by right there, Mac. I like that. And you were saying just work on maintaining those relationships, right? Like by calling them and staying in touch with the coaches you do know. Yes. Yeah. Doing that, writing them letters. I did write a lot of letters. I, I don't, I get nervous talking the phone to people I don't really know, but to go out of my comfort zone and actually just do it, just talk to them. And just like, sometimes I think a big thing that I did that was actually really good when I talked to uh, bigger time coaches, I didn't really talk to them about ball all the time. I talked to them about, you know, how do they develop their guys? How do you get your guys to believe in what you're doing? How do you show them that you love them? What creative ways, you know, you get them during fall camp to be better as a unit to come together? And I think because sometimes we talk so much football all the time. I think some coaches get, honestly, might get tired of it. And they want to talk about their guys and how, like, creative ways, you know, they get guys to, like, you know, just simple thing of, like, Jay Rich, our corners coach, told me, just bring a dumbbell into your meeting rooms and just have them pass it around and do curls. It'll keep them focused. Just just little things like that, just to get them together. And, you know, I've just that, – because that that's my biggest thing. Like, I love coaching football, and I love X and O's, but I love coaching football players a lot more than I love the X and O's. And it's – so I think sometimes asking coaches that question and getting ideas on that, of how you can make your position group better and come together and – you know, because it's like you're a head coach of that group. So how can you make that group better? Matt, Mac, you're dropping gems there, man. That's I really like that. The, the 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 yeah the the communication aspect I think is something that's so important. It's at, at times it's bigger than the X's and O's, you know. And how can you relay that information to your players? Because it doesn't matter if you know everything. It's what mm-hmm. your players know and how do you the relationship you have with them. Did Block. you see the drill that uh, Teams Talk put out? I think Teams Talk put it out with K-State doing it with blocks. No, what was it? Oh, so they were practicing that drill of coming off the edge, but the um, guy coming off the edge was in uh, track blocks. Oh, yeah, yeah, I did see that, actually. Yeah, they have them in a starting starting stance. That's genius. I wish I would have thought of that because that's, uh, that's genius. And, you know, the other thing is just telling them they don't, they don't need to be so wide. Too. They don't need to be wide. If you're going to come right off the wing, you got to step over his leg and then go and launch. So you need to just – it's just – you just have to coach it. So they have to see it and see it and see it multiple times, I think. So. And, a, and a lot of the times all those wings are doing is sticking out their arm to give the appearance of a long edge, right? And it's really not as long as they think it is. Exactly. Exactly. That's yeah. awesome, man. Those are, those are some really good stuff. I can't wait to experiment with these – the Colorado Mesa block, man. I, I like that. Uh, it, it was all my players. It was all the players. Yeah, that's awesome, man. That's, that's a little bit of you too. But I, we're about to wrap up here, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm so glad you came on, man. There's some great stuff that you dropped for us. Do you have a favorite motivational or success quote that you would like to share with us? A motivational or success quote? Um, any proverbs or any you know, things that you help, that helps, uh, you know, inspire you or inspire your players? Um, I mean, anything Coach Gobi says, because he's <laughs> a 
very great motivational person. That's the other reason why I love, well, why I want to be a special teams coordinator is because in my mind, you're like the third head coach. And so you get to motivate and be the, and the branch of your head coach. I think that's really cool. But um, I'm going to bring it from the Bible. And it's a, mo- it's a very common verse, but it's really impacted my life when I really broke it down word by word. But it's Proverbs 3, 5. And it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. And the key word in that is lean not. That was my word for 2018 was to lean not when I was out of a job and didn't know what to do, had to take a job outside of coaching for two months or whatever. And um, it was just to lean not on myself, but to lean on, to lean into him. I don't know what I'm doing. He knows what he's doing. So I think that's for any coach, because eventually bad things are going to happen. And just, you just got to know that there's a greater plan. If you seek him out, it's all going to, there's, there's greater things in store, man. I love that, man. That's, that's a fantastic quote. And it's also great for the players too, because they need to understand, you know, it's not always going to be this highlight reel season, you know, there's going to be things that go wrong and the great ones that they respond to it in a great way. So Exactly. That's that's great stuff, man. Hey, well, if anyone wants to find you or contact you via social media, uh, you know, where can they find you at? So my Twitter, actually, I, my Twitter is Coach Mac with a capital C, a capital M, underscore A with a capital A. That is my Twitter. As I told you, Twitter, I'm getting better at Twitter. Let's put it that way. Not your favorite. I'm getting better at it. I'm, I, it is my favorite because it helps me recruit. So it, it is my favorite, yeah. but um, I'm getting there. Good stuff, man. Well, Hey, so again, so glad you came on Mac. It's been a, a great talk. Hopefully we can have you on uh, in the future and, and you know, let's keep this, uh, this friendship and relationship that we got going on, man. You, you're, you're a great coach. Can't wait to see the things you do in the future. Uh, no, man, I appreciate you. You're, uh, you got to teach me something about kicking. That's why I got your kicker Bible. Cause I wanted to learn something. Cause like I said, I'm just a dumb DB who like to tackle people. So I got to learn how to kick and become a better coach at that sense. Cause you guys are a, a special breed. And I mean that in the best sense possible. Cause I, like I told you earlier, I have a ton of respect for you guys. and I just want to help. Um, I'm never going to be a kicking coach, but I want to help and, be able to coach you a little bit so you got to drop some knowledge on me now no doubt man anytime you need you hit me up thanks for listening and if you have any questions you'd like asked or select yes coming up follow and send us a message on twitter and instagram to iceman underscore kicking or iceman kicking at gmail.com be sure to follow us and turn notifications on youtube spotify and soundcloud at iceman kicking podcast and rate and review us on Apple Music. This will be important as we will have giveaways going forward. Also, check out our TikTok under the same name for the best clips from these interviews. And tune in next week for another great Special Teams Mind. I'm Brett Arkellian, and for everyone at the Iceman Kicking Podcast, we hope you stay cool under pressure and have a great week.